Here's Pastor Ed Taylor with a word about suffering. Don't you suffer, none of you. And I say that along with Peter. Don't let anyone listening to me, don't suffer as a rank sinner. Don't do it. Just choose not to sin. You're going to suffer. Just don't let it be for choosing rank rebellious sin, church. And if you suffer because you're a believer, don't be ashamed. Glorify God. Know that Jesus went before you. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set free. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. When going through a trial, do you think as many do, why in the world is this happening to me? It's a common reaction these days. We may think it's strange or that we've done something wrong for this to happen. Well, 1 Peter 4 reminds us that God allows Christians to suffer even when they're living a godly life. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll learn how we're to respond. With this message, trials come to us all. Here's Pastor Ed Taylor. Trials reveal in us, they don't create. The only thing they create in us is a deeper dependence upon God. What they really do is reveal the current condition of our life. And sometimes we're really encouraged, sometimes we're really disappointed, but when we rejoice and we look up to the Lord, He meets us where we are. In the wilderness, in the midst of their trial, listen, God provided for the nation of Israel. In the wilderness wandering, God supplied them. God is at work. Your trial's not strange. And God is with you in the midst of it. Even in the midst of great suffering, God remained faithful. And that's his promise to us in times of trouble. I mean, you think that the, the reason why the nation of Israel, the generation of Israel was wandering in the wilderness throughout the book of Numbers is because they failed to believe God. It was because of their sinful failure. But did God abandon them? Yes or no? Absolutely not. No, he was with them. He provided, check this out. God is so faithful to them in their rebellion that, that he provided clothing for them that never wore out. What an amazing, miraculous thing. Now, they might have complained and go, I'm tired of this, I'm tired of this, I wish we had a new one. But that's just their sinful nature. God provided, they never had to worry about it. He gave them shade during the day, light at night, and every single day he provided for them six days out of the week. He provided for them food that gave them all the nutrients that were necessary to endure a lifetime, uh, or, you know, really a whole lifetime in the wilderness. God is faithful. And on that sixth day, remember with the manna, he gave them enough for the day of rest as well to help. God wants to help you. Listen, this is so cool. God wants to help you obey him. He's not trying to test you so you fail. He's willing to help you all along the way because his goal is really your goal. And that's to be in right relationship with him. He'll help you obey him. So, okay, look, I want you to rest on the seventh day. I know it's counterintuitive, but I want you to rest. So here's what I want you to do. On the sixth day, get enough manna for today and tomorrow. Every other day, just get enough for the day. But on the sixth day, I'm going to make enough for you so that you don't have to work tomorrow. He says, I'm going to set you up, even in the midst of your pain. And don't forget, 
we think of the wilderness wandering, we only focus on one generation, the unbeliefs. And it wasn't really that many people. It was just the spies that came back that messed up everybody's head and they all believed them and they all got fearful with them because fear can spread like a wildfire. But remember there were their kids and in some cases their grandkids that suffered too. And what did they do except they were born into that family? They didn't do anything. They weren't the generation that denied God or lived in fear. They were just born into that family. You know, a lot of suffering comes just from your position in life. The family you were born into. The difficulty that has visited you. It's just a condition of the life that you have that God, you know, brought. Those, you would think, you know, it's just not fair. It's not right. You know, it's, it hurts. You're right. But there was those succeeding generations, you know, where their feet ended up? Dry land through the Jordan into the promised land. The Lord took care of him. He'll take care of you too. Don't think it's strange is where Peter is. Don't think it's strange. Notice verse 15 now. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Jump down to verse 19. Therefore, those who us who suffer according to the will of God, let them commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So notice at the back of verse 14, I want to miss that. On their part, the suffering that, the, that, that was happening from the government, from Rome to the believers there, for them, they were blaspheming God the way they were treating believers. Nero was a blasphemer, a liar, and it was evident that he was not in right relationship. But notice, those that were suffering, God was glorified. God is glorified in your suffering. If you suffer the right way, God is not glorified in suffering the wrong way. And notice he gives an example. Don't suffer as a sinner. <laughs> Don't suffer as a murderer and go, oh, woe is me. I'm suffering because I'm a Christian. No, you're suffering because you're a murderer. And then he says a thief. And then he says an evildoer. And I don't want you to miss this. I don't want to develop this tonight, but you just consider, maybe I'll develop it. Murderer, thief, evildoer, and then notice what he splits on an equal level, busybody. There's probably far more busybodies here among us than there are evildoers. And that's a serious sin. Getting up involved in other people's business when it's none your business. None. It's not even partially your business. It's none. You don't want to suffer that way. You don't want to be in that position. You don't want to suffer the wrong way. That tells me in suffering and difficulty, I can make things easier or I can make things harder. But I'm going to suffer. It's almost like you could say you can go the easy way, you go the hard way, but you're going to suffer. And it's really bad when we bring it upon ourselves. But in verse 16, when you're suffering for righteousness, don't be ashamed. You're suffering because you're a believer, don't be ashamed. You're suffering because you're doing the right thing. Don't be ashamed at that. Embrace it. You know, you can't embrace, oh, you know, why are you in trouble? Oh, you know, I was a busybody. Why'd you get fired? Oh, because I stole from the company. No, you can't glory in that. That's shameful. But what's not shameful is when you take a stand for righteousness and your boss calls you in, you think you're getting a raise, and they say, yeah, here, here's a check. Oh, great, my, I got a raise. No, it's your final check. Well, Why? Well, we don't need to tell you. But it was really because you were a believer. 
because you're serving God. Not because you were weird or doing wrong things, just because you took a stand for righteousness. Yes, taking a stand for righteousness comes at, often at a cost. And the real question for believers in the age in which we're living right now is are you willing to pay the price? That's the question. Like you look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember the story, you Bible students, you know, they're there, they're the king, king of the, the ruler of the known world. It was simple, it was easy. All they had to do was bow down to the image. What's the big deal? Bow down. You could even fake bow down. You know, you could, you could in your mind, you can think of how you're justifying it all. You know what? Nah, uh, in my heart, I'm not bowing down, but I'll bow down just so I can have life. I'll, I'll bow down. And they said, no, that is false worship. And it's almost as if they said, everyone here will bow down. We will not bow down, O king. And then you know the story. They told the king, and I'll paraphrase, hey, we trust God. God will deliver us. He knows how to do it. But even if he doesn't, we'll be with him. So either way, we win. You can throw us in the fiery furnace, king, but we're not bowing down. We're not entering into false worship. And if they were making a movie of that, if you and I were making a movie of that, they would be the heroes. Yay, yay, yay. And then lightning comes and takes out Nebuchadnezzar and Shadrach, Meshach. They become the next kings. Because that's kind of what we expect. You do the right thing, you get promoted. You do the right thing, you get... No, that's not what happened. Nebuchadnezzar continued to be the ruler and they were thrown in the fiery furnace. But you know, it was in the fiery furnace that that one like the Son of Man showed up, loosing their bonds. Like Jesus shows up in the fire. He's always with you, but you really experience him in the fire. You have a special experience. And it's a good thing when you suffer for righteousness. It's a good thing. It's a good thing when you choose to do what's right, no matter the cost. It's not always a good thing when you try to get out from under difficulties instead of receiving it as from the Lord. It's something you really need to pray through. He says, don't, don't you suffer, none of you, and I say that along with Peter, don't let anyone listening to me, don't suffer as a rank sinner. Don't do it. Just choose not to sin. You're going to suffer. Just don't let it be for choosing rank rebellious sin, church. And if you suffer because you're a believer, don't be ashamed. Glorify God. Know that Jesus went before you. The time has come now. Notice verse 17. The time has come. I saved it for last. For judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? There are times of discipline in the house of God. There are times of discipline for you and me. Sometimes we interpret, or we misinterpret suffering, where our suffering is actually the chastening hand of God in our lives. Training, discipling, and dis disciplining us so that we might follow him. Sometimes trouble comes as a means to chasten and discipline us. You look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego again. You look at Nebuchadnezzar. You look at the believers here and the wicked leadership of Nero. And you go, that's not fair. It's not fair. I can't believe it. Nero's on the throne. It's not fair. It's not fair. No, Nero's there to chasten you. You may be unhappy with a current political leader in your own life. He's there to chasten you. Oh, but it would be so much better with this other leader. 
it may not as be as good as you think because God wants to train you and chasten you. Maybe it has nothing to do with a political leader. You have a boss right now that it is God's will. She's your boss to chasten you. Well, I don't like it. I'm getting another job. Then you may just be running away from the chastening hand of God. And guess what? God has a boss at your next job too. I remember one day my son Eddie came home from uh, Chick-fil-A as he was working at Chick-fil-A and he was talking about a difficulty there and he just had enough of it. It was a hard situation and it was a particular boss. And one of his options was, I'm gonna get another job, dad. I'm gonna get another job, dad. And I get it. I'm like, well, Eddie, you can get another job if you like. But I want you to know that the boss you're having a problem with right now is at your next job. They have a different name, um, different responsibility, that boss has been put there by the will of God for you, son. God wants to teach you some things you can't learn in the house here. He wants to teach you some things that mom and dad were not able. He's taking you to another level. And I know it's hard. We've all had them. We've all had your boss, I told my son. We all had your boss, man. Seems to, <laughs> they seem to work at a lot of places. But God has allowed that person to be in your life to train you and discipline you to follow him in the good times and the bad. Not everything's going to go your way. And to think that some of you may be a boss yourself. You, want to, you like to use that. You may be in a place of management position. I wonder, you're someone that God is using in their lives to chasten them or to bring them to a place of the end of themselves or to bring them to a place where they can have faith. Like God, nothing's wasted with God. But I, you have to remember, church, judgment doesn't begin out there. Judgment begins right here. And it's not even right here. It's in your home, in your room you rent, in your condo. In your townhome, judgment begins in your house. It begins with you. How easy and convenient it is to have judgment on everyone else's house, but God wants you to, and is it no surprise that in the same context of what Peter's writing to these believers, he talks about murder, evildoer, busybody, which a busybody is someone that gets involved in other people's houses. A busybody is someone that gets involved in other people's business. They get up in other people's situations. And God says, don't you, Peter says, don't you suffer being a busybody. Oh, by the way, judgment begins in the house of God. Get your own house in order, church. God is ready. He wants to help you get your house in order. That's not just a strong exhortation. He's ready to give you enough manna on Friday to take care of Saturday. He's ready to help you get your house in order. He wants you to. We're, we're living on the cusp of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to take as many people with us as possible. We want a testimony of the love, the grace, the mercy of Jesus. We want to be known as a church of why we, who we love, how we love. We don't want to be known by what we're all against. We want to be experts in all the darkness. The Bible says to be innocent of evil. Be excellent in what is good. Get your house in order. And that's just a, a word for someone. Like it's just get your house in order. I'll tell you, we as a pastoral team, we as a staff, lay leaders, we want our house in order because we want to be used in these last days. We're taking it serious ourselves. We want our house in order. We want our home in order. And again, it's not a perfect home. Don't think, don't misunderstand me or the Bible. Getting your house in order doesn't mean you have no problems, no issues, no sin, no, no. like we're, we're normal. We live, we live in a real world with real problems. We have flesh. We make mistakes. We make some sinful mistakes. But your house in order is one that honors God. One that puts God first. One that abides in Christ. 
One that seeks out his strength and his wisdom. One that, man, you know, there's a distinction between you and the world. A real house that's in order is different from the world. And judgment begins. Don't be surprised when judgment comes to the house of God. It begins, it's, you might want to mark these words in verse 17. It begins with us first. Can't you hear the echoes of those suffering under Nero, that that's all that's on their lips? Nero this, Nero that, Rome this, Rome that. We already know that that was happening during the first century when Jesus came. We're only about 30 plus years from the time that Jesus died here in First Peter, just 30 or so years and, and the, one of the reasons why Messiah was missed when Jesus came is they believed, they were so upset with Rome, so upset with the oppression of Rome, that they interpreted Messiah to come as a conquering king to overthrow Rome. And when he didn't overthrow Rome, everybody dismissed him as a false Messiah. They couldn't see him coming as a suffering servant. They couldn't see the places in Isaiah. They couldn't see the places in Psalms that spoke of his crucifixion before it was invented. They could only see themselves and the oppression under which they lived and the disagreements that they had and the hardships. And it was hard living under Roman rule. The taxation under Roman rule was over 50%. The Romans had absolute authority over their subjects. Jesus would so much would say when he came in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, look, I know when they're going to ask you for your cloak, I know. That's what the Romans, that's what the soldiers did. They had absolutely authority over your life. They could kill you if they wanted to. So when a soldier came or someone said, give me your cloak, give them everything you have. Give their tunic too. Don't resist that. When they want you to carry a burden, go the extra mile. This is, it's almost like Jesus saying, it's going to be hard. So make it easier by cooperating and doing more than they ask. So you can honor God. He didn't say, resist. You go, Ed, of course he did. No, he said when somebody slaps you on the cheek, <laughs> don't resist an evil person. Give to them your other cheek also. And he's really speaking to the heart of the matter of where will we be in tough times. That's really what he's speaking on a personal level. That's what he's speaking to each one of us. That's what he's telling me. Ed, well, how do you want to be in tough times? Do you want to be close to me or do you want to be far from me? Judgment always begins here first in our lives. The choice today is so wonderful in our lives. Trials are going to be a part of your life. But with every trial, we're given a choice or two or three. We can give up and let the enemy defeat us. Or we consider that trial, we can consider it as appointed and allowed by God in our lives to work in a wonderful way. We can commit our souls, like verse 19 says, we can commit our souls to a faithful creator. He's very faithful. Now jot this down. You might want to look at it later, but I was listening to a Bible study many years ago, so much so I wrote this down, of how a pastor was teaching on the subjects of trials and defeat. This brother was actually going through some major back surgeries, one after another, after another, after another. He has since passed away and gone home to be with the Lord. But he was teaching in the midst of one of his constant surgeries that never fixed the problem, always made it harder. Uh, and actually the brother, pastor in Southern California, actually ended up passing away after another back surgery in the hospital. It was just a chronic, horrible condition in his life. And as he was teaching on trials in the midst of it, 
He said three things we need to do in the midst of trials. You want to jot them down. Three things we need to do. First, he uses Moses as an example in Exodus chapter 14. And he says, one of the things we need to do, number one, is stand still and see the salvation of God. That's what it says in Exodus, stand still. Don't move, stand your ground, let God show you who he really is. Number two, he used David as an example in Psalm 46 verse 10. He says, number one, like Moses, stand still. Number two, like David, be still. Psalm 46, 10, be still and know that I am God. In other words, stop talking and start listening in the midst of your trial. Stand still, be still. And then finally with Naomi, with Naomi in Ruth chapter three, verse 18, he uses Naomi as an example to sit still. Stand still, be still, sit still, until you know how the matter will turn out. Sit still until you know how the matter will turn out. One of the worst decisions you can make is to make a big life decision in the midst of crisis. Wait on the Lord for direction. Wait for your heart to be healed. Wait before you make a big life decision in the midst of tragedy and difficulty. And that's my prayer for us as we face what we face, when we face it. Stand still, be still, sit still as God is working in your life. Amen. Stand still, be still, and sit still. Good advice there when you're in the middle of a trial. Pastor Ed Taylor has titled his message, Trials Come to Us All. Thanks for joining us for Abounding Grace. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to go and grow in the Word is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. This is a great way for you to take in the Word of God wherever you may be. Look for us on Apple Podcasts, too. Pastor Ed, it's quite likely someone listening right now is in the midst of suffering. And a common question I'm sure you've heard a time or two is, why? Is it okay to ask questions like that to God? Well, you know, Larry, that is a great question. And for anyone that's thinking that right now, I want to start by saying I'm very sorry that there's pain in your life right now. That's so much so that you're crying out to God about why. And I know he's faithful. He loves us. He cares for us. And you can ask the why questions. You can ask anything of God. You can come to him with everything. But here's the here's the essence of it all, isn't it? You aren't going to get the answer to why. It's, it's just not going to come. Um, and even so, the Bible tells us that we're to walk by faith and not by sight. And so if, if you, uh, and I think it was Warren Wiersbe that said we're, supposed, we're to walk by faith and not by reasons or by answers. And even if we were to get the exact answer of why, we would not be satisfied. I think it would open up a whole new list of why questions. Well, then why didn't you do this? And why didn't you do that? And it takes us on an endless road away from the Lord. But as you ask it, ask these questions to him, I think the question changes, doesn't it? It changes to who. And as you begin to meditate on who God is and his love and care for you, uh, it's amazing the goodness and the graciousness uh, that God reveals to us. And so be encouraged and be strengthened. Stay in the word and prayer. Stay in fellowship. Cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Thanks for that encouragement, Pastor Ed. Is there an afterlife? What is heaven like? 
How will we spend our time there? And what does it mean to see God face to face? Questions like these enter our minds as we contemplate what's next after we die. In The Case for Heaven, Lee Strobel investigates the evidence for life after death. You'll read fascinating conversations with respected scholars and experts, including a neuroscientist from Cambridge University who has analyzed a thousand accounts of near-death experiences. You'll receive compelling reasons for why death isn't the end of our existence, but a transition to an exciting world to come. Request a copy of The Case for Heaven today when you give a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryco.store. And as the costs of being on the radio are growing, we're looking to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. Next time on Abounding Grace, Peter offers some encouragements and exhortations to elders. Be back for that if you can as our study of 1 Peter continues with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.